0: Psalm 57. Let your glory be over all the earth. To the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictus of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. To the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high to God who fulfilled his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men, his teeth are spears and arrows, his tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps, my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre, I will wake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is God's word.
1: That might have just been the most adorable thing you will see today. So... Thank you so much for that. Um, good morning church it 's great to be with everybody once again to, uh, to be with one another as we uh, sit and focus our hearts and minds on on god 's Word and what He has for us and it 's good for us to, to worship together uh, and for me, this has been a, a very uh, special, uh, precious time. For my own soul because uh, I've actually been the interim pastor here since the beginning of April. I've, I've been helping with, with preaching since August of last year, but I've actually been the official interim pastor uh, for a little over two months now. And But there are some times it feels like I've been here so much longer than that, in a good way. Uh, but it, it, it's only been two months that I've been in this position, but it feels like the, the relationships that are being built and developed, sometimes my heart feels like I've, like we have been part of Two Rivers for much longer than that. But in all actuality, one year ago, our life was in a completely different place. Our life felt, and by our, I mean uh, myself, my wife, our, our children, our life felt like it was under a constant barrage of chaos. Uh, For those of you that don't know uh, a lot of my backstory, I'll just uh, keep it real quick and short, but I was actually working with a church in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and that church let me go February of last year. And so while we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, we made the decision to move back to Charleston. This is where I grew up. Amy and I met at Charleston Southern. Family is here. It just made sense for us to go where our hearts wanted to go. And so Uh, I decided uh, that I would search for a job here, and I actually took a job with a local office supply company, uh, Herald Office Solutions. But Amy was currently pregnant with our fourth child, and with her health insurance, we couldn't just up and leave because our health insurance required her to give birth in a North Carolina hospital. And so for, uh, I think, a little over two months, about two and a half, three months, I actually had to make a four-hour each-way commute from Hendersonville to Charleston. Sunday night I would drive down to Charleston, stay with friends or family for the week, go to work, and as soon as I got off of work on Monday, drive back to Hendersonville for the weekend, do laundry, spend some time with the kids, rinse, repeat over and over again. Uh, And in fact, in that time, there was just a lot of discouragement in the fact that it took about two and a half months just to find a place for us to live, all while Amy was on the verge of giving birth. There were a few times I was actually driving down to Charleston, and I would get a phone call around Orangeburg, I think I'm going into labor, and I'd have to turn around and drive back to Hendersonville that night. That happened at least two, three times. And sometimes the pressure felt overwhelmingly crushing on my soul. We had questions, sure, I'm not going to deny that, but I never doubted that God was in the midst of working something bigger than us. Because I had confidence in my prayers because I was praying to a God that in, in my life growing up would had put men in my life to fill that role of a father that was not engaged in my life. I was praying to a God that is someone who struggles with depression in my heart and in my soul, surrounded me with friends who cared for me and encouraged me and lifted me up. I was praying to a God who provided for our family as we moved to Columbia years ago literally two weeks before our oldest son Isaac was born. I was, I was praying to a God who, who comforted me and surrounded me with compassionate people as my mom passed away in 2014 mere months before I graduated seminary. I was praying to a God who provided me with that very same ministry position that I mentioned earlier mere weeks before our third child, Jeremiah, was born. There was this constant theme of our life being filled with chaos. But amidst the chaos, the only thing that was more consistent than the chaos itself was the God who was present in the midst of that chaos. And that's why I had confidence in that God because in all of my fear, and doubt and struggle in the chaos, I knew that He was the one constant that would always show up. And this is what we see in Psalm 57. That David is pouring out his heart in honesty in his struggle because life is chaos. There are literal enemies pursuing him. In the opening inscription of the psalm, it even says, That this is a a mictam of David. Now I'll unpack that in just a moment. When he fled from Saul in the cave, this is literally coming from David's life around 1 Samuel chapters 22 through 24. When Saul is trying to kill him and chasing him, and David and his men are hiding in caves, fearing for their very lives. David writes this psalm as he pours out his heart to God. And it's not a psalm of fear, but he's singing praise of confidence. This is written specifically, it's written given to the choir master because this is a song that David wrote for God's people to sing. That God's people can praise and have confidence not just in the good times, in the comforting times where it feels like everything is sunshine and rainbows, but to have confidence in the hard times and the difficult chaos seasons of life. That David, I would argue, is saying that for God's people today, Christians can have confidence when they pray. Not in a sense of name it and claim it of, of the, the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Well, you know what, God? I'm, I'm going to have confidence that I'm going to pray that you are going to give me a, a, a new uh, Mercedes or, 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 or whatever that I'm going to have this dream job that is going to provide you know, a, a, this massive income for my family. We'll just sit back in, in, in comfort and never have to worry again. I'm not saying that God is giving you the confidence that you can just pray whatever you want and He's going to deliver, but that Christians can have confidence that God Himself is bigger than your circumstances. That His glory shines through the dark clouds of destruction. That's the confidence that Christians can have in their prayers. And we see this in the following ways. Looking at verses 1-3, through You can have confidence when you present your plea. And in verses 4 through 6, that you can have confidence when you present your problem. And looking at verses 7 through 11, that you can have confidence when you present your praise. Before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank You that You are bigger than our circumstances, that You are bigger than us. And this time as we we set aside our distractions, as we focus our hearts and our minds on Your Word and what You have to say to Your people, God, be with us now. Pour out Your Spirit in this place. Speak through me as Your servant. As a broken man, use me to share Your truth and Your compassion and Your Gospel to Your people. Be with us in this time. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now as I previously said, Psalm 57 opens with the instruction that this is written to the choir master. According to Do Not Destroy... Now that might sound a little odd, but that's actually, uh, uh, it's most likely indicating the tune of what kind of song this is. For those of you that might be familiar with the, the comedy show, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? when they, they have the hoedown and they say what kind of style the song is going to be sung. Like this is going to be song, sung like a show tune or this is going to be sung like hip hop. David includes this line saying this is written according to do not destroy because that was a particular style of singing. This was how God's people engaged and approached the song. And this was a miktam of David. Most likely, a further distinction of what kind of song this was, that this wasn't a, a loud song of boisterous singing, but that when David wrote this, that it was written as a silent prayer. Again, he was hiding in caves, fearing for his life at this time. And so he wasn't like, he wasn't pulling an Elsa, just singing, Let It Go. But this is a song hidden within his heart, and yet penned for God's people to have confidence in a God that provides in chaos. And then it says that this was written when he fled from Saul in the cave, specifically showing that this is his cause. For lament. This is where his heart is coming from. And not every psalm provides that context. In fact, the psalm that we looked at last week just said that it was a psalm of David, but it didn't say why his heart felt the way that it did. But this psalm in particular says he's literally fearing for his life. And in that chaos, he's praising God in confidence. And David is showing that as God's people that you can have confidence when you present your plea. Looking at verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in You, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of Your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. His rest, His refuge, His protection... He's specifically attributing it to God himself. He's not saying, thank you, God, for these caves. Thank you for, for helping me to hide. He's saying, God, I am being chased for my life, and in you, I find refuge. He's not just speaking of his physical being, but his soul, his, his, his center of fear where he, he just, he's running for his life. And he says, God, in You alone, that's where my refuge is. That's where I can rest. That's where I can stop and catch my breath because I am resting in the shadow of Your wing. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He's addressing God's position. God Most High. This isn't just some run-of-the-mill God. This isn't living in a culture where there are many gods for any aspect of life. He says, I am praying to you, God Most High, God over all. You are the one over all of creation. I am appealing to you because you are the God who fulfills your purpose. This is who God is. This is a God who does not abandon His people. He fulfills His purpose. Because he is actively engaged in the lives of his people. He does not abandon his people. He does not forsake his people. David is appealing to the very identity of who God is. And he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He will send. He will put. Not, David isn't saying, God, I really hope that You're going to show up here. But David is singing and praying and confident saying that God will do these things. Why? Why? Because He will send His steadfast love. For those of you that were here last week, we unpacked that phrase a little bit. The the original Hebrew for this word is actually one of the most beautiful words, and I will say that every day for the rest of my life. Chesed. It might not sound beautiful and majestic, but it is one of the most beautiful words that you will ever read because God's chesed love for His people is His covenant faithfulness. His promise to be with His people. The promise that He made to Abram That is continued throughout generation to generation. That God is for His people. That God does not abandon His people. That God is working on behalf of His people. David has confidence that God will send from heaven and save him. He has confidence that God will put to shame those that are trampling upon David's very soul. Because this is the God who fulfills His covenant promise. This is the same faith that we see from David earlier in his life as, as a young man in 1 Samuel chapter 17. For a quick recap, uh, this is, Saul is king, and the, the army of Israel is facing off against the armies of the Philistines. And the Philistines bring forth their champion, Goliath, who begins mocking, not just mocking Israel, but mocking the very covenant God of Israel Himself. And the warriors of Israel, the strongest men within God's chosen people, are cowering in fear. And David, a young man, shows up. And by young man, I mean young teenager, preteen, possibly shows up and hears Goliath not just taunting Israel, but mocking the very infinite creator God of Israel, God of the universe. And David says, this will not stand. God will not be mocked. And everyone tries to talk him out of standing up to Goliath. Saul himself says, you cannot do this. And David says, And David said, Yahweh, the covenant name of God who makes Himself known to His people. Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and Yahweh be with you. This is the same faith that we see David showing here in Psalm 57. David isn't glossing over the difficult aspects of what needs to be done. As he said that he's had to face lions and bears, but God showed up then, and God, he knew that God will show up as he confronted Goliath. Spoiler alert: David conquers Goliath. If you, if I suggest you read it; it's good. But Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, continues to show up, and that is where David's confidence comes from. In Psalm fifty-seven, David is honest with his predicament, he says that he is in the midst of storms of destruction, but God is his refuge. That is his confidence. That even in the midst of chaos, God has shown up before. He will show up again. And so what do you need to remember today? I don't know the struggles that might be plaguing your heart right now. I don't know what might be discouraging or distracting you. But I want to encourage you, think back. Where has God shown up in the past? Maybe it's been one of those stories where you had no money left. You've paid all of your bills and you're wondering, where am I going to get groceries for me and my family? And then somewhere, somehow, you're, you're either blessed by someone or uh, you overpaid a bill and they, they reimburse you. Some, but somehow, that God provides in the midst of that struggle when you thought that you had nowhere left to turn. Maybe it's that conversation that someone had with you when you felt that you had no hope left to give. And someone spoke just the very words that your soul and your heart needs to hear that God provided that person at that time in your life when you had no hope left. Maybe it's from a time in your life when you felt unloved and despised and rejected and God reminds you that you are loved. That He brings people into your very life that love you. That He reminds you of His very love for you Himself that You are precious, that You are His. That even though you might feel unloved and despised and rejected, that You are His precious child. I don't know what you need to remember today, but look back like David and be encouraged by the times where God has shown up before because He will show up again. Pray with confidence. Not based out of your effort. Not that you're going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you're going to buckle down harder and that you're just going to grit your teeth and bear it and endure. But pray with confidence because this God, this covenant, faithful God that has shown up for His people for generations, who has shown up in the past in your life, will show up again. Maybe not how you expect it, but He is faithful to His people. And as you present your plea, you can pray in the very same confidence when you present your problem. And as I said, that David is honest with his struggle. It's poetic. Absolutely. It, it's, de- it's described in a, a more flowery language, if you will, but he's honest with his fear of destruction. In verse 4 he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, and whose tongues are sharp swords. This is not a description of inconvenience. This is, oh, my neighbor's not talking to me anymore. This isn't uh, just a a, a mere setback. This is a confession of danger. There are literal people after Him for His very life seeking to destroy Him. He's not trying to sugarcoat His situation. This isn't one of those Christian catchphrases where you ask someone how they're doing and there's just the, the pat response. Well, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Grates my soul. He's honest with the fear that is chasing his very life. And he gives himself an attitude check to remember that even though he he has literal people literally trying to kill him, he stops and he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be over all the earth. He admits that The honesty of his struggle. He admits his fear, but he doesn't stay there. He refocuses his heart and says, God, be exalted. Let your glory be over all the earth. And he stops to remind himself where true authority lies. Authority isn't within his own power. Authority isn't in the people that are chasing after Him. The authority doesn't even lie in the the currently throned King of Israel, Saul. But true authority lies in the God over the heavens and over all the earth. The God that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. That is where true authority lies. Yes, His life is in danger, but the very God of creation is over all, including His enemies. He says in verse 6, "...they set a net for My steps. My heart was bowed down." He's speaking of the burden that's on His very soul, that His heart was weighed. That He was under distress. That He was feeling His very soul, His heart, was bowed down in burden. And they dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. His enemies are pursuing Him. And in their pursuit of David, they bring harm upon themselves. There's no need for David to seek revenge himself. There's no need for David to avenge his own name. Because his enemies bring it upon themselves. And sometimes, in all honesty, life does not work out as it does for David here. Sometimes you have literal people that are seeking to do harm to you or to your name. And we don't always get the satisfaction, if you will, of seeing their downfall and their pursuit of trying to destroy you but as God's people, that one day that there will be a judgment against the enemies of God's people. That there will be judgment against the enemies of God Himself. And that even if you never see justice served as David does here, that one day true holy justice itself from the throne of heaven will be administered. But again, we see David's honesty as he presents his problem. He's addressing a very real concern. Just before David is hiding in the caves, as he's speaking to, to Jonathan in, in 1 Samuel 20, for those of you that might not remember, Jonathan is Saul's son, the son of the king that is chasing after David to kill him. The son of the king is David's closest and dearest friend, his BFF. It's best friend forever if you're not hip to the, the acronym lingo. But Jonathan says, David, don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. And David says, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, don't let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David isn't sugarcoating his situation. He's not pretending that, you know, maybe if I just don't acknowledge it, it's not as bad as it might seem. He's brutally honest in, in his situation and says there's but a step between me and death. There are people seeking to destroy me. And he brings his struggle and honesty and confidently presents his problem to God Himself as a sign of this is what God's people are called to do. To bring your struggles and your fears and your problems to the God who is bigger than your struggles and your fears. Even at an interpersonal level, if you're not being honest with the things that bother you that str- that you struggle with with your interpersonal relationships, you cannot address what is not spoken. Maybe you have a classmate or a coworker that irritates the fool out of you, but if you never actually address it, that relationship will never improve. Maybe you have a friend or even your spouse who has wounded you to your very core. But instead of bringing out an honesty and addressing the situation, you just bottle it up. And that builds resentment. That drives division between you and your friend or your spouse. And in not honestly addressing the problem, it brings larger problems and distance. Or maybe. You're not even being honest with your own self. That you're trying to deal with whatever situation that you're in the midst of. But you won't admit that your your very the core of your heart and soul is finding its its identity and its presence in fear itself. Be honest with your struggle and situation, even at the the human level, to be honest with yourself, to be honest with those around you, to be honest with your spouse, with your family, to address those situations, but especially to be honest in your prayers and in your praise of God as we bring hearts before the throne of God himself because that's what prayer is that's what that's what praise is that you are bringing your very heart before the throne of God and saying here I am to be honest with your prayers with your struggles and with your fears and he's inviting you to bring that honesty bring your fears and your doubts and your struggles but bring them in confidence Because as God is over the heavens and over all the earth, this God big enough to speak reality into existence, that this same God sits in victory over struggle and conflict and fear. That this is the God who has authority over relationships. And this is a God of mercy and forgiveness. And He invites you to come in confidence and bring the struggles and fears and problems of your heart. And lastly, as you bring your pleas and your problems with a heartfelt honesty, David is showing that you can have confidence when you present your praise. And look at what happens here because David had just said my soul was bowed down. And in verse 7, it immediately turns and he says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Not steadfast as in the Hesed covenant faithfulness, but Hesed as in his heart is fixed. That his heart is prepared. That in light of God's position, of who he is in light of God's history of showing up in the lives of his people that David's heart is fixed on praise. What once was burdened and weighed down is now fixated on praising the God over the situation. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my, gl- awake my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. He's speaking to His very heart. Awake My glory. Not just His heart, not just His soul, but everything within Him, every, every fiber of His being, every muscle, every bone. With everything that's in Him, David says, with all of the glory that is within My person, Wake up! He's crying out to his soul to wake up and to sing and to praise so loud that he will wake the very dawn itself. I don't know if you've seen the video that's been going around on the internet the the, the past few I, I guess past few months now uh, of uh, LaKeisha Ball, but she was a cancer patient who was just told that she was cancer-free. And there's the bell that you ring as you're leaving the cancer ward to announce that you are leaving cancer-free. And she's not just it's not like leaving Arby's and like ding, ding, thanks for the service. But she's ringing this bell and she's like hooping and hollering. She's like, yeah, whoa, ding, 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 ding. And there's this praise and excitement and enthusiasm that is infectious. There's a joy that no one can deny as she's crying out with her very soul. That's what David is saying here. My soul is going to cry out so loud. I will awake the dawn itself. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations that this song that David is writing for God's people, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, he's going to sing so loud that the Gentiles will hear, the nations will hear the glory of God. This glory of God that this is a God who shows up in the lives of His people. And that he will, His praise will be so loud and infectious that those who have never even heard the covenant name of the God of Israel before, will cannot, they cannot help but see the praise and the excitement and joy of God's people. This is Paul himself quotes this in, in Romans 15 saying that the praise of God's people is not just for Israel, but God's people are to praise to bring the Gentiles in. That's what David is saying here. I'm going to praise so loud, even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of people chasing me to to destroy me for my very life itself, I am still going to praise God for who He is so loud that no one can deny the grace and mercy and forgiveness of this God. For your steadfast love, your hessid love, your covenant faithfulness is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the nation or above the heavens. let your glory be over all the earth. David is placing his hope and his trust not in his situation, not in his own ability, but in the covenant faithfulness of a God who shows up in the lives of His people. In sunshine and rain, in joy and sorrow, that this is a God who does not abandon His people. And this is the confidence that you see in Job 19. That Job, who has had everything taken away, his crops, his his home, his family, his very children have been taken away. His health has been reduced to boils and sores. And as he sits in agony over what he has lost, and the people around him just tell him, it must have been something you've done, just curse God and die. And Job refuses and he continues to praise God and as he says for i know that my redeemer lives oh i wish that i can have that kind of kind of confidence in my own soul this is the confidence that paul has in philippians where He says, and I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That His confidence is in a God who never relents in His love. Not based on your ability, not based on your goodness or anything that you will ever do, but that His unrelenting love is based in who He is. Have you ever seen someone have come to that salvation experience in their life? Not just someone that starts going to church and starts making like behavior modifications or uh, just uh, obeying the the rules of how church people are supposed to live, but someone who comes and has genuinely experienced the grief of their sin. And they repent and they put their trust in Christ alone. When you actually see that, the the joy that that is exuding from them is overwhelming. Their joy is infectious. They can't stop talking about it. They share it with everyone that's in their life, everyone that they meet. I've got to tell you what happened. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know if you've ever seen that kind of infectious joy over the Gospel before. But when you see it, there's no denying the goodness of God for His people. There's no denying this Gospel that has resonated in the heart of someone who has seen the depths and depravity of their sin and their inability to save themselves. But trusting that God and his mercy sent his son, God in the flesh, to take your sin upon himself, and in that exchange to give you his righteousness. That you were once an enemy of God, and now he calls you his child, his precious daughter, his son. That joy leads to praise and a prayer that pours out in confidence. Not because of anything that you have done yourself. Not because of anything that you have within you. But all because of the object of your praise. Of who God is. Because of this God who never abandons His people. Who invites you to come to to His throne as a child. Not as a servant begging for mercy, but as a child coming before a father. And He invites you to bring your pleas and your, pro- uh, your problems. To be honest with your struggles and your fears and your doubts and see that His covenant faithfulness, His promise is forever. And He invites you to cry out in praise with a joy so loud that you wake the dawn that You praise so gratefully, so thankfully, that no one can deny the glory and the mercy and forgiveness and the compassion of the God over all. That creation itself will one day wake to see the glory of God. I don't know what your struggles are today. I don't know what storms of destruction are plaguing your heart. I don't know if you have literal people that are against you. I don't know the circumstances that might be, might be trying to pull your heart away from praise. But I want to ask you, Are you going to try and tackle your problem yourself resting in your own strength trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Or will you present your plea to God in confidence that in the midst of chaos will you find refuge in Him alone? Will you avoid the reality of your struggle and pretend that maybe it's not as bad as it might appear? Are you going to sugarcoat it And just throw little Christian catchphrases at it? Or will you present your problems to God in brutal honesty and trust that this God that you pray to is bigger than your problems themselves? Will you dwell in your conflict and chaos, overwhelmed, focusing your heart only on yourself and your struggle? Or, will you focus your attention on the God over all and present your praise to Him resting in the joy of His relentless love for you? Which will you choose? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before You this morning thankful that You are a God of unrelenting love. That we can bring, in all honesty, we can bring our struggles and our fears and our doubts before Your throne, trusting that You will show up. Because You've shown up before. You've shown up for Your people throughout history itself. And God, we can come to You in confidence, trusting that You are for. God, we confess that far too often we take our eyes and our hearts and our minds off of You, that we focus on ourselves, we focus on our issues. And that far too often that prayer is a last resort. God, give us the courage to, to come to Your throne and in brutal honesty, cry out our need for You to show up. And let us rest and trust and praise You because You are bigger than our problems. Let us find our hope and our rest and our refuge in the shadow of Your wings. We pray in the gracious name of Christ. Amen.